0: What's going on, veterinary anesthesia nerds? Today I have a very exciting podcast episode for you, especially if you are feeling a little bit of cabin fever at home and you're ready to get out there and travel, Uh, because today on the podcast we have none other than veterinary technician extraordinaire, world traveler Amber LaRock here with us. She is going to tell us all about her fun adventures out there helping animals but also traveling the world and how maybe it's time to change our minds about some things that we previously thought about veterinary medicine and what it means to have good veterinary care. Just a little bit about Amber, she worked in an ER in the U.S. before her traveling adventure. She's been doing stuff in Cambodia, she's currently in Thailand. She works with a dog rescue, a cat sanctuary, so she gets to see all these cats and all these kittens. So maybe some of her job is playing with little kittens. Um, (laughs) But she spends a lot of time doing veterinary writing um, and also being a resource for other veterinary technicians who are interested in international travel and veterinary jobs and et cetera. So let's get into it with Amber. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, I'm excited. Yeah, this would be a fun conversation. I'm excited about this one. I mean, I say that about everything, because I'm just jazzed to talk about anesthesia and, and different things. But I also really love traveling. And for listeners, uh, you guys weren't on the call earlier, I told Amber that, you know, Thailand is, it's, oh, it's at the top of my list. I'm very excited to go there and like, eat strange yeah. foods from a cart on the side of the road. And I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. Um, I think my only oh, yeah. hesitation is that uh, I, I, I can't do the extreme spicy foods. So I feel like definitely my GI tract will be not happy with me when I go there. Um, oh yeah, I don't know if they I have, avoid
1: like, the spicy foods. Do they as well. have like a
0: white girl spicy yes. level?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the first things I learned how to say was, I don't like spicy food in Thai because <laughs> I was like, this is serious. I can't handle it. Yeah, you'll be fine.
0: I feel like Philadelphia spicy and Thai, true Thai spicy. That's a different. That's a whole different thing. Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, yeah, I've never experienced spice like this here. Like your mouth is burning, like off of your face. It's insanity.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people would love that, but that's not for me. They do. Um, I love it. But I, it's very exciting. So Amber, I think first and foremost, people listening in are going to want to know, how did you go from an ER technician in the US to a traveling kind of solo, doing your own thing, creating your own opportunities internationally as a veterinary technician? And if, if people are interested in doing this, kind of what advice do you have? But first, tell us like what you're doing. What does your typical day look like as a international traveling veterinary technician.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, what I'm doing right now, uh, this is the way that I live internationally and support myself for my continuing travels, is I write veterinary articles for a living. I contribute to multiple different pet health websites, um, pet health product websites, anything of that nature. I create content for them and that is my full-time job. So yeah, that's how I'm able to support myself. And I guess the road to this point It started in 2015 right when i graduated from college i went on my first international trip which happened to be to thailand chiang mai specifically where i am right now and it was a veterinary travel group called loop abroad and they offered a uh, two-week trip volunteering at elephant nature park as well as part of your trip being spent at a dog shelter working in shelter medicine And that trip was so impactful for me that the second I came back home, I was like, okay, I have to find a way to make this a regular part of my life. And I didn't quite know at that point how often I wanted to travel and that I would even end up at this point. So I started um, at that point just working around the clock all year and using all of my sick time and my vacation time to plan one big month long volunteer trip each year. And I did that for about three years until I got to the point that I just realized I was living for these trips. And all that would happen is I would go, it would end, and then I would start all over again. And I just wasn't happy anymore. I wasn't feeling completely fulfilled. And at that point, I had learned that there's so many clinics, rescues, charities out there doing work that I really want to be involved in. But I just need to find a way to do it and you know there's a lot of paid opportunities for veterinarians internationally there's not as many for vet nurses at least at that point there wasn't so um i knew i just had to brainstorm some ways to make it work and i have always loved writing um it's something that i've always been really passionate about just doing in my spare time so i decided you know what i'm gonna see if i can combine vet med and writing And I spent about six months while I was working at the ER full-time, just pitching different articles to different pet health websites, anybody that would let me. And at first I did this for about four to six months without getting paid just to build up a portfolio. And uh, by the end of that six month period, I got websites that agreed to hire me because I was licensed and I had a decent portfolio and ER experience. And uh, before I knew it, it was a full-time career and I was taking off to live in Cambodia. So that's kind of my road to where I am now. And I've just been doing it ever since. That's amazing. And as somebody who
0: started out as a journalism major myself, Ooh. I love this idea. And you, now you got my wheels turning that like, hmm, could I, oh, yeah. could I do this? Is this something yes. that maybe I could go back into? Although I got to tell you, I like I actually left journalism because of fucking copywriting, man. Oh, copy. Ugh. Oh. I know. (laughs) It's so tedious. Yeah. Um, And I remember sitting in this one one publication in in college and I was like, you know, I was on copy that day and just like in a cubicle for six hours, you know, going through. And I was like, oh, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And then I was like, yeah, I do like working at the vet's office. Let me go do that. You know, hindsight. Hmm. Maybe I made the right decision. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really think journalists, well, I mean, journalists seem to make money and I don't think anyone is like urinating yeah. on them. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good plus. But I will say something that adds a little spark to the writing career is you just have to find a really great coffee shop with a good coffee and it makes it a lot better.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: That's a that so It makes a very it good a point. lot less mundane. Okay. Yeah, well, I believe. Just like, work from there okay. and you're good feel like after this,
0: you're going to have a lot of people, you know, contacting you and being like, OK, how can I get in on this? Because it sounds too good to be true. Um, oh, so take us let's let's talk about, you know, you're doing this now and this is kind of where you came from. This is a case based podcast, but I think that, you know. I don't want to throw a particular anesthetic case at you because just the reality of your work is that you're not going in every day dealing with surgery and anesthesia and that kind of thing. But you certainly are occasionally dealing with surgery or anesthesia or even maybe sedation or drugs being involved. So let's talk about this. and, And kind of what I would love to hear from you is have your ideas or ideals even changed a bit? Because I would assume that the medicine and the culture and everything is so vastly different. So how do you balance kind of keeping an open mind, not being judgmental with this Western sensibility that we know everything best and that we have this you know kind of gold standard of medical care? And if we if you're not doing this up here medical care, then you're not doing it right. Um, So, kind of walk us through what have you experienced with that or has your mind been changed at all?
1: Yeah, um, a million percent. I'm a completely different person and technician now than I am when I started and was just working in the emergency animal hospital. And it's for a lot of different reasons, but a combination of the patients that I met along the way, but mostly the people and just seeing the different circumstances around the world. And truly all it took was one sterilization mission to really just smack me in the face with, okay, we don't always need the gold standard. Everybody else has their own way of doing things, limited resources, but you know what? They get the job done and they did an incredible job. So I just really had to realize that sometimes it's just about the greater good at the end of the day and you don't always need the gold standard to offer your patients amazing care. And even if it's not amazing care, you're at least improving their life moving forward And that's what the bulk of a lot of this work is, because most of the work that I do with these organizations is focusing on overpopulation and disease control. And a lot of times that's either max vaccinations or mass sterilization missions. And you can imagine when you're doing mass sterilization, a lot of the times you're out in the field, you typically don't have monitoring equipment, you typically a lot of times don't even have oxygen. So the first mission that you go on like this will definitely kind of be a smack in the face, but I think that most people will walk away from it with that same experience of seeing, okay, this was kind of like a well-oiled machine. All of my patients survived. Every single person that I was able to hand this dog or cat off to at the end of the day is so incredibly thankful that there will be no more puppies and kittens. And we've improved so many lives at the end of the day. So it really just kind of shows you that, wow, there's so much more than what I thought existed within the walls of the clinic. And there's actually a lot of different ways to do things that still make a big impact.
0: Yeah, and I would assume yeah. that um, just because you're you're doing these mass sterilizations or kind of out out in the field type medicine, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not providing
1: decent pain control and sedation, right? Of course, of course, and you know. It will vary from country to country based on what they are able to get their hands on. You know, there's a lot of different opiates and things like that that they can't get in certain countries. Like, for example, in Cambodia and even still in Thailand, it's hard for them as a veterinary hospital to get certain medications but they still take care of their patients to the best of their ability. Uh, for example, the shelter that I work with now, WVS, they're really big on no matter where we are, whether we're working in the field or we're working in our clinic, we're going to offer our patients the best standard of care with what we have. And um, they even use like something I've never seen before, lidocaine drips <laughs> during surgery. I've never seen that in like a mass sterilization type of setting. Um, and then they'll make sure to give their patients NSAIDs after. So. Of course, again, it's maybe not the gold standard, but their patients are fine. They are still offering them pain relief, and they did the best of their ability to stick to sterility and making sure the patient made it out on the other side. So, yeah, it's definitely different than what you're used to in a hospital setting, but it doesn't mean that the patients are lacking care in any way, and they're still, you know, getting massive life improvements at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a good point, Um, you
0: know, because I think that we – You know, we go to school, we go and then we work at a clinic or even especially if you go into work into, you know, a veterinary teaching hospital, which I'm kind of all over the place now. And some days I work in I do a lot of relief. So some days I work in specialty. Some days I work at a teaching hospital. I might be at a GP and there's always different ways of doing things. But I think that you're right in that sometimes we have to look at what we're doing and we might be so kind of like have blinders on as to thinking that this is the only way or the best way. And if everybody else isn't doing it this way, then they're not good enough. Um, And I tell you that as a new technician, I loved the practice that I was in um, 12 years ago, and I definitely thought the same thing. I was like, if people aren't doing this way of anesthesia or this way of pain management, they're less than. And, and that's not yeah. true. And I think you break a good point is that, especially when we start talking internationally, and you know, the veterinary anesthesia nerds group is so international that I think we forget that just because I can get my hands on methadone and I might use methadone as my main you know, opioid or main pain yeah. control, not every country can do that. I know my time in Russia they did not have access to opioids at all. So they were not using them. So they're getting creative with wow. other multimodal ways. And I think what you just said with the lidocaine drip, I usually use a lidocaine drip on my more critical patients, like when I can't yes. use something else. But I think it's a fantastic use of, again, a, a very cost-effective drug, we, one we know that has macro-reducing and analgesic properties. So fantastic use of that drug, uh, but in a different 100%. way than we might normally think of. So-
1: Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really impressive. And that's another really cool thing about working internationally or specifically with charities that do this type of work is every single organization I've worked with does things a little tiny bit differently. And it's really interesting to log it and kind of add it to your list of like experience and things that you've done as a technician and move forward with that knowledge. And you know, I've never walked away from a project without learning something really, really interesting that I can take with me into the next job. So it's it's a wonderful experience for everybody involved.
0: Yeah, I would definitely recommend that if you have the opportunity to travel and to go into different practices, um, especially with different cultures or that kind of thing, to to do it yeah. and kind of get out of your own head, get out of your own way. And um, I'm right. excited. I think that now you've got my interest sparked that I would love to do something because I I think that I've been in the ivory tower of anesthesia for too long and maybe I need to get uh, <laughs> smacked in the face with uh, the realities of what's going on in the world.
1: Um, oh, man. Really hey, you also fun. have a lot to teach as well. You have a lot of education to offer. These are the types of stra- uh, training and the skills that a lot of times people don't have access to. So that's another thing you could add to the list.
0: Oh, man. I've, I'm down to teach local blocks all over Ooh, the world. Yes. Man, that's my favorite thing. So, like, all I need Love is that. a of lidocaine. I'm ready to go oh i love right. that oh we got yeah. amputations left and right over here They would love oh it. let's go i'm all right i'm coming over we'll work this out you're like i'm
1: coming i'm at my going. flight
0: veterinary anesthesia nerds international symposium thailand right we'll put it on the docket. it'll go. happen at some point so um amber how do you like when you're traveling around i know kind of before we got on you had talked about you work with some you do some wildlife volunteering as well Talk to us about that. So when you're in different locations, you just contact different wildlife centers and you'll do work with
1: them as well? Yeah, 100 percent. And the only really wildlife experience that I have in terms of like volunteering or visiting is um, with elephants. I just love them so much, especially because most of my travels have been in Southeast Asia. This is an animal that you're going to encounter often, whether it is in a good situation or bad um elephants unfortunately are the main victim of animal tourism here. Mm-hmm. Thailand, Cambodia, Southeast Asia has come a long way in terms of welfare for these animals, but there's still a lot to learn and a lot of work to do. So whenever I do look for a sanctuary that I want to volunteer with or just simply visit, I kind of go through a checklist um before I book my experience because at the end of the day when you're doing these um when you're participating in these projects, your money talks and where, if you put your money towards an ethical project, that's adding towards like pushing towards a better future for the elephant ultimately, because people are gonna have to get on board and realize where people are putting their money. So I make sure to look for an experience that benefits the elephant and not the tourist. And I think a lot of us fall into those traps. I certainly have before, they're really good at it and they know how excited we are to be around these animals so i know a lot of us think like elephant riding is the worst of the worst and it definitely can be but there's a lot of other little subtle things that's evidence of an elephant that's still working and for example that's looking at an itinerary where they have the elephants on a strict schedule to allow you to bathe them in the river
0: uh, Mm. take photos
1: with them um, walk them to different locations to pose with them So basically, if there's any evidence of an elephant being on a time clock multiple times a week because visitors come every day, I try to avoid it. I look for things specifically that say, you know, walk around and meet the herd, give them snacks if they want some, observe the elephants in their natural habitat, uh, things like that. I, at this point, avoid anything that says bathing elephants because, again, that's another act that doesn't seem cruel. You, You think about it and you see photos and it looks fun, you know. And bathing and rolling around in the mud is a natural behavior for elephants. They love it, but they want to do it on their own terms and without Mm -hmm. a group of foreigners huddling around them. So, you know, there's a lot of little subtle ways that they trap us. But at the end of the day, if you can make sure that the experience that you sign up for is based on the elephant's enjoyment and not yours, then I think it's a good project to either volunteer with or visit. Sorry, that was (laughs) long-winded.
0: No, that's great. You know, you kind of like are bringing up some, you know, my own kind of things like, oh, what have I participated in? Because I know definitely I can look back and I went on two different, I was the typical in college, right? I'm going to be a marine biologist. I I think we all went through this phase because of Lisa Frank (laughs) and those damn dolphins.
1: I know it. They got
0: you. Yeah. So Mm. I think that I was like, I'm going to work with dolphins. And I do remember doing the pet a dolphin, right? Um, I'm from Florida. I grew up in Southern Florida. uh, And so I, we have a house in the Florida Keys and I went to a place that you could like pet the dolphin and like, you know, hold the dolphin and it'll take you around. And I, at first I was like, this is great. And then I, a couple years later, I actually went and did a ride along with a actual marine biologist who was studying the dolphins And she was like, you could do a ride along with me and you might see some dolphins. And we popped into the water and we were following these dolphins. And she was very clear that like, we are not, you do not touch these dolphins. We are like in the water near them. Yeah. We're not putting out any signals for them to come over to us. We're not trying to interact with them. This is, we are just observing them. And that was the joy. The joy was just getting to observe them in their habitat. I didn't need to touch them to to still enjoy their presence. So, yeah, now Definitely. I look at stuff like that and I am a little more cognizant of kind of like, yeah, where I'm putting my dollars and not yeah. letting my son, who I know would probably love to ride uh, you right, hold and ride a dolphin. And I'm like, mm, no, yeah. I'm not gonna let you make exactly. the same mistake I did because that's not
1: necessarily yeah. benefiting the dolphin. <laughs> We've all done it. And it just stems back to an excitement to be around the animal. So you can't, you know, beat yourself too much. You can't beat yourself up too much about it because it comes typically from a genuine place. But, you know, we can all definitely learn more about it. And at at the end of the day, like you said, you have more of an authentic experience when you know that this animal is actually enjoying their life and you're having a positive interaction. When you really sit back and think about it, you're like, this was such a beautiful, authentic experience. And I got to watch this animal just being happy, being themselves, you know, so it's more beautiful at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, that was probably a good thing. All right. So to, to kind of, to close out, I think that what I would like to do is kind of have a discussion or to get your opinion again, because you're just immersed, immersed in such a different culture and a different form of medicine than we are here in the US. And I kind of would love to get your opinion. You know, right now there's this discussion online um, just for some things that have been going on as to who gets to have a pet and what does that mean? And there's kind of this kind of discussion right now that it centers around being able to afford veterinary care. And if you can't afford veterinary care, then you shouldn't have a pet. And I yeah. think that where I'm having a hard time with this, now, granted, I have never been out in the fields of Cambodia doing low-cost stuff like you have. Sure. However, I know that within my own family, I have family members that have pets. My dad has a dog. My dad has a dog. Listen, my dad doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can tell you guys. <laughs> Dear Lord, okay, cool. my dad <laughs> got a silver lab. Oh, A silver lab, y'all. Oh. A silver <laughs> So I was like, oh, dad, why didn't you call me before? Because about when the dog was like seven months old, he was like, this dog is crazy. And I was like, yeah, dad. I'm sure he is. Yeah. Yeah." So the dog ended up having, the dog ended up needing not only a spay, but a vulvoplasty as well. She was getting recurrent infections. She needed to go to Michigan State um, to get her, like, um, she had, Cherry eye, bilateral cherry eye. She had to go see an ophthalmologist. This dog has had like allergies. My dad, let me tell you, is a mechanic in rural Michigan, okay? My dad does not have this. He's like scraping together. And listen, the people at Michigan State, lovely people. They gave him a discount. They gave him the names of clinics who might be able to give him you know, a little bit more affordable care. So again, within my own family, I see that my dad has this dog sometimes she brings him joy. Uh, sometimes he's annoyed. But for the most part, my dad has always had dogs. My dad does yeah. not have $10,000 ready to go mm-hmm. for veterinary care. Does that mean that my dad doesn't deserve a dog? I personally, right now, I don't have a dog because I'm terrified of the cost uh, and the yeah. responsibility. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. I, and I work in veterinary medicine, so I know that I could, could, could get it done right? Because the clinic I work at would probably give me a discount and a surgeon and that. But, you know, I would love to just hear your opinion as to kind of what what do you think constitutes good veterinary care and whether or not somebody should just be able to have a pet? And is there a line where we say that, oh, you're, you know, you don't make enough money or you can't have this pet or something like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a tough conversation that I feel like just has so many layers and it's tough because I can, yeah, I can understand the argument coming from the veterinary professional perspective, 100% being in this field, just understanding the frustration that we encounter when our clients are unable to financially care for their pets. It's hard for us too, but at the end of the day. I just realized I have to go back to how that client is feeling and of course it sucks when they're lashing out at us when they're blaming Mm -hmm. us for their financial situation that makes it much more challenging but no matter what it is all coming from a place of guilt a place of shame and a place of sadness and I always try to go back to that no matter how that client is treating me in that moment I go back to that in the fact that they're acting this way because they love their animal And, you know, this is definitely a perspective that's changed with traveling 100% because I was just thinking back on this with this recent conversation is that the person I was when I first started my career, I was the type of technician that was super judgmental about clients. I would get really frustrated when people wouldn't, you know, didn't have the money to treat their puppies with Parvo, things of that nature. And I would get really frustrated. But it took me, thankfully, I had this experience traveling the world and seeing that There are so many different ways to love an animal and the amount of money that you have in your pocket, your bank account, whatever it may be, does not determine your worth as a pet owner. And again, there's just so many different layers to this, you know, and at the end of the day, like, I don't think that our monetary value should have anything to do with our ability to love our patients or our pets. And therefore we should not judge our clients for these reasons. I know how frustrating it can be, but I just, I just ask everybody to just please try to be compassionate to what that person is feeling. And no matter how frustrated they are, it's literally just coming from a place of pain, shame, and love for their pet. And, you know, I know I went in a a lot of different directions with this, but I just, I wish that we could all change our perspective a little bit when it comes to this situation and just offer a bit more compassion, no matter what the outcome is. I think that if we just added a little bit of compassion to this conversation and to our clients in these desperate financial situations, we would get so much further.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I think it's, I I agree with you there. And again, I know we're not talking completely anesthesia here, um, but kind of the realm of, you know, we were talking the other day at a clinic I work at about anesthetic mistakes and how they happen. And the one comment from someone was, well, that should just never been allowed to happen. Well, of course, it's easy to say (laughs) in the moment that that should never been allowed to happen. But how many of us out there listening have made a mistake at work? Have oh you ever God. pushed a medication too fast? Have you ever accidentally given the wrong medication, right? Or yeah. double dose, right? Absolutely. I know I personally have given Serenia because it wasn't listed on the log, but it was in the computer and I didn't check the computer. So this wow. dog got a double dose of Serenia, right? Like we all yeah. make mistakes and we're all fallible. And 100%. I think that, um, I think just the judgment in general, it just, it, it it is really intense sometimes, uh, and yeah. I'm sure it's intense in other um, employment areas as well. Not just veterinary medicine, of but certainly in veterinary medicine, I think sometimes we expect our clients to come to the table with the same level of knowledge that we have.
1: Right, and know. You know,
0: my dad, as a mechanic, does not understand you know, the level of complex, he doesn't understand why he shouldn't have got a silver lab, right? He just said, this is a puppy, it needs a home. I'm gonna give it a loving home. I'm gonna make sure it has a bed to sleep in at night. I'm gonna give it some food. It's gonna be great, right? He doesn't understand all the interests, right? Um, Yeah. And kind of for the same reason that I have not adopted, like anytime there's like a, (laughs) anytime there's like a a brachycephalic, uh, disaster. it has like you know some kind of deformity and people are like I'm gonna take it out and I'm like, Oh, I might not take it because I know all of these things, right? Yeah, but other exactly. people shouldn't be faulted for their compassion and their you know, like they just wanna give this animal a loving home and they're trying really hard. Yeah, and I do yeah. see that. And at the end of the day, again, I get it that we we need to be paid for our services because we do need yeah. to get paid and we need to be paid a fair living wage and all that stuff but i do think yeah. that it's nice to have conversations about this because it maybe for a minute you could sit with it and see could i be wrong could of i course. be approaching this from a different perspective and i think i'm guilty of it and i i want to okay. get better you know as a human being and stuff and so i think yeah. that to your point just experiencing different places and different cultures helps move that conversation forward It helps give you such a different perspective which is very much needed
1: yes and then also too though like i even without that knowledge like i'm i'm so thankful for the opportunities that i've had just because it has really changed me as a technician but also i think that at the end of the day we can all really come back to the fact that as a as a field, we want everyone to show us compassion. We want people to show us grace. We know how difficult it is to make a wage that is difficult to live on. So why doesn't that same compassion, grace, and understanding pass over to our clients as well? And, you know, I really struggle. I've, I've made videos about this and gotten like some backlash is that I really hate the saying, if you can't afford the vet, don't get the pet. Oh, I I know. I hate it so much. It infuriates me. And, you know, in certain aspects of it, again, it has layers in terms of like preventative care things, you know, infectious disease. I get that, you know, and that is so frustrating and it's unfortunate when the pets have to suffer. But in terms of unexpected emergencies, how, how can we say that to our clients? It's just I I really struggle with it because, you know, we want to be offered so much compassion and grace, but yet we aren't willing to extend that to our clients when they're in a really desperate position. And um, I really struggle with that concept in this field currently because there's been a lot of it recently and it's just really frustrating.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way about the saying, uh, it was like, I don't know, a while ago, people were saying like, well, pets are a luxury, right? Pets are like, pets are a luxury. That's like a luxury. Well, how do you yeah. decide like who gets the le- are, are we talking to like the pets are the equivalent of like a lexus like what like so yeah. so so people who are in poverty or maybe can't, so they don't they should not be allowed to experience the right. joy of a pet because they wouldn't be able to pay if the pet ate a you know a sock uh yeah. i don't know what the answer is but i do think that yeah, yeah. you're right The like if you can't afford the vet uh, i mean it's this like right strange thing that we have like this group of people that's like, if you can't afford the pet or the vet, don't get the pet. But then we have these other group of people that are like, so many pets are being euthanized in shelters, go adopt one now. Well, which, well, what, <laughs> so which, which, like, which one what do one do? like? I don't have, you know, I, you know, especially. And I think a lot of us in, in this field, again, we don't get paid a lot. We're trying the best we yeah. can. We usually adopt these animals because we're trying to be compassionate and empathetic and et cetera. Um, of course. I mean, I personally don't have like eight to 10 grand just sitting in an account ready to go in case Never have I ever. one of these cats, like, you know, eat something. It I'm, I'm
1: praying that my pets don't have a medical emergency on the daily. You know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have veterinary discounts to fall back on. Can right. you imagine I think- having that?
0: Yeah, I know it is. Yeah. I I do think it it is an interesting conversation that's happening, but I hope, as I always hope with a lot of things, um, that some of this will spark some people to like change some things or at least get conversations going within their clinic as to how they can potentially change things for the better and not be super
1: rigid. Yeah, I feel like we're directing our energy in the wrong directions. And even me too, if I'm frustrated with people for saying something, I feel like I should be channeling that frustration into, okay, how do we advocate for change going forward? Because this issue is just going to keep popping up over and over and over over and over all the time. Um, And it's nobody's fault. But what we can do is make a change going forward. Because I mean, even like, you know, five years ago, I remember clinics didn't offer care credit and scratch pay. So back then, we may not have even thought about payment plan being an option or credit-based payment plans. Just there was a time where what we have now wasn't even considered possible. So why can't we potentially talk about having non-credit-based payment plans moving forward and how we can make that work as a hospital? So I just think it's, yeah, a conversation worth having. And why wouldn't we want that for our clients? Yeah, it certainly is.
0: All right. Well, I don't want to take yeah. up more of your time. I know it's late where you are. Just to close out one question, if somebody sure. is listening to this and they are like, I want to do that. I want to go like be in Thailand right now, working with, you know, kittens and whatever you're doing out there. Uh, if they're like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to make a change. Let's yeah. do this.
1: Wh- what would you say? Where should they start? Sure. Sure. Um, I think to start, I think you should start with a volunteer trip and you could do this with a veterinary travel organization. There's quite a few of them. There's, like I mentioned, there's Loop Abroad, there's uh, Worldwide Veterinary Service, there's Mission Rabies, there's World Vets. There's a lot of different options and you can travel with other like-minded veterinary professionals to a different part of the world, offer your services. And if you fall in love with it, then I think that you should take that leap. and look for opportunities abroad. I know I work remotely, but I have friends that actually work in positions in different clinics around the world. So um, it is an avenue that you can certainly explore. There are opportunities and you should just get your foot in the door and try it.
0: Yes, yeah, everybody, get out of the house, go do something yes. uh, outside of your <laughs> comfort zone. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I'm gonna look into it. I'm gonna be sending some emails later. So I'm okay, telling ya, you, a couple years, we're gonna be in Thailand, yes. it's happening. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Amber, for taking the time to be with us and kind of get our gears turning about some different things and ways that we could approach things differently, certainly from an anesthetic or pain management perspective, but also just maybe from a human perspective as well. Thank you so much and uh, safe travels wherever you're going next. Um, Where can we find you if we want to keep up with you?
1: Yeah, Uh, the main place you can find me is on my Instagram. Um, It is at Vet Tech and Travel. And uh, yeah, you can just kind of keep up with me there and ask me any questions you have.
0: All right. That sounds good. All right. Thank you so much for being on the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you.